What is up, consumies? This is Jamie Lewis, host of the Consumed Podcast, where eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers sit at my creaky kitchen table and talk about life and flavor with me. You're at the table too. Thanks for joining us. Before I introduce today's guest, here's a little bit about sponsors of the Consumed Podcast. Do you want to be more intentional about the meat you eat and feed your family? Have you even considered giving up eating meat entirely because you can no longer justify supporting the inhumane and industrialized system that brings meat to your dinner table? If you're looking for a simple way to guarantee you always have access to healthy, sustainably farmed meat and wild seafood, the Larder Meat Co. is here to help. Since 2016, Larder Meat Co. has been delivering farm-raised beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and wild seafood sourced from right here in the Golden State to customers who demand the highest quality proteins as well as intentional sourcing standards and transparency. A convenient club box from Larder Meat Co. makes it easy to automate the most important part of your monthly food budget. You can build a custom box or choose from one of the many curated bundles that LMC offers. As a Larder Meat Co. customer, you are supporting the ever-dwindling ranching industry that has fed us for generations, and you're building a sustainable future for your family, our ranchers, and the planet. Use code CONSUMED at checkout to save $25 on your first subscription and check healthy farm-raised meat and wild seafood off your grocery list for good. That's LarderMeatCo.com. Promo code CONSUMED for $25 off your first subscription. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, Cargo Storage Containers, and Refrigerated Shipping Containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use Mid-State for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods for private collections and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. Mid-State Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root cellars. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her Mid-State Container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a Mid-State Container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote, midstatecontainers.com. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Okay, on to the episode. Jack Alger is the owner and mind behind Mutiny Burger in Paso Robles. The roots of the Little Burger Cafe begin with Jack's work in the beer industry. As he sold beer across the U.S. for Lagunitas Brewing and others, he built up a knowledge bank of his favorite spots for burgers, burritos, whatever local specialty he resonated with. He even built an Instagram account called Burrito Hunters that shows his favorite burrito joints all over the country. 
When the pandemic hit and everything shut down, he couldn't travel as he had done for the 20 years prior. So he started a local place that brought his favorite burger recipes to him and to the community. Hear us talk about smash burgers, tater tots, McDonald's, and why he resonated so much with craft beer when it came onto his radar years ago. Here's Jack Alger. Alger. Where does that name come from? Uh, I think the lineage, we can, as far as we can trace it back, is like uh, uh, French, early it's gotta American. Be French. Yeah. yeah, yeah, early Western mixing with the native kind of. Game, I think that's kind of where we kind of figured it out. Have you? Do you have um, indigenous blood? Yeah. So my dad's part Salinan Indian. And no. So that that's like old school, like San Antonio Mission era, like Morro Bay, Cayucas, yeah, Toro yeah. Creek Road. Yeah. yeah. You're and, that, and, that, and that's a little bit, yeah, I guess. And 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 so that's always kind of a weird um, bit of a an interesting tribe to kind of try and find all the pieces and parts for because mm-hmm. it was so kind of decimated by the mission system. It was yeah. a small tribe and they were kind of traveling. They'd go back and forth from the coast to the inland and had their scene out there. And I know like other people that are related and we have this mm-hmm. loose knit. Back in the day, there was a little bit of an attempt to kind of put a tribal kind of scene together for yeah. a little bit. There was We learned a lot of that during that history. But for me, that scene turned into like more about money than it was about mm. cultural heritage or language or any of the like yeah. things that I solved rather you know I think there's been some territorialism R- right too. yeah and, and and just like this I didn't understand the division you know what uh, I mean yeah so I didn't I until very recently so I couldn't understand or I couldn't put a lot of energy getting involved but I was very fascinated by it there's other people that have done great work there's a uh, another San Luis connection here um, a, a wonderful lady Allison Gray who mm. um, does wonderful heritage work and, and ancestral kind of like mm. etymology of all kinds of stuff, you know, but, but she's, she's done some documentaries and done some digging and she's Selena and has Selena and heritage too. We've go back to the same kind of Bronda family mm-hmm. connection. That's like the other old family that I remember growing up with and, you know, just, just old full budded Selena's that were the last of the ones we knew. You but, know. So if you're, if you're Selena and I would assume you grew up here, but you didn't, right? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, like, King City area. Oh, you like, did? Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that yeah. is Mission San Antonio and all yeah, that, right? Yeah, so, and then we've always had family and friends out in Lockwood area and okay. seen out there, so. Yeah. Yeah, but um, mostly around King City, um, agricultural family and cattle ranching and, like, all the old things, you know what I mean? Steinbeck. Yeah. It's like Steinbeck, you're yeah. a family for sure. <laughs> you know, some of my grandparents came through from uh, northern Arkansas, like southern Missouri border area, um, Dust Bowl era, moved yep. out here. Um, rest of them came out later. Some of them mixed in with some of the family that was already here, the mm. older families that were here. And that's kind of like early lineage of, you know, of yeah. my family. Yeah. You mentioned before we started recording that you came from um, a food loving family. Yeah, yeah. Food was definitely the language of everything that I understood as a kid because it was, my dad had like kind of high-end steakhouses, you know, mm. and um, very classically trained, old school, went to San Francisco culinary school. Oh, your dad was kid. a chef? Yeah, my is dad was a chef. A chef. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He still is. Okay. Um, he doesn't cook anymore as much, you know, He's you know, but, what, but at the time he was like multiple restaurants in and had opened a few restaurants before I was born. and. Wow had done all this work for, 
know what I mean? Like just food. And so if I knew, if I wanted to be with my dad, it was always in a kitchen or it was like cutting beef or hanging and stuff. And, um, then later on, my mom was, uh, involved in a cattle ranch and my grandparents were farming agriculture up and down the Salinas Valley, mostly around Greenfield and Rosaco, Carmo Valley, yeah. like that kind of stuff. And so food and food production was like core attributes of me growing up. That's you know, a, like, that's like a marriage of, yeah. that's an amazing marriage, right? <laughs> it, it was really good. It was, it was cool. It was like, uh, I had connections to everything we were eating growing up, whether, I mean, whether it was the pigs, we, that my stepdad and that scene or mm-hmm. like, it was just a mix. Everybody was involved in food and kind of core, core raw material production. You know? so cool. Well, and I mean, that's, <clears throat> it's still like that there yeah. that it's yeah. the, you know, it's the, what the, the larder of California, if not, you know, the U S and beyond, Yeah. but, but something about that, um, the fact that you have those indigenous roots, you have a dad who does high-end steakhouses and you have a mom who's in ranching and just, it sounds like that era too of kind of blossoming into a, a specific kind of culture. Yeah. You're part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And my and neat side story with my grandma was, uh, because that that was kind of her core was like feeding and farming and doing whatever. She ended up running the culinary programs for all the elementary schools around Greenfield and like oh. that area for for a real long time. And yeah. I still remember when I was a kid, her hand making like biscuits and doing all this for stuff. school lunch for school lunches Amazing. for like however many hundreds of kids and stuff. Because she had just she could just scale it up and yeah. we would do these roundups of all the like farmer boxes before even that was even a thing right. you know what I mean like there was stuff that was too ripe for you know shipping or w- whatever and the and she would just make sure all that stuff was saved for the schools and it was like I just saw food as a language and as a way to take care of people and a way to like bring any kind of knowledge you had to it and share it as like a it was a very early emotional connection for me so food has been a big part of my life like from the onset doing that what your grandma did feels so like hip and progressive right now yeah, you know now it would be absolutely the and maybe even kind of impossible program and yeah possibly and yeah i think that's why it got phased out this this systematic kind of growth of that yeah industry the school mm-hmm. industry whatever you want to call it I don't know. yeah food services uh, industry right right it, it just got homogenized and simplified and the, the the corporations got all corporation-y, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just it's, it's that. I love that. Now it's, now it's an adjective. Yeah. Corporation-y. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you were telling me, well, well we met through um, an old friend yeah. of mine, and it was gosh, 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. I mean, a while yeah. ago. Oh, oh, four or five or something like okay, that. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I hadn't seen you in a long time and somehow, probably on Instagram. No, actually it was through the, the newspaper, through oh, the Tribune. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, that was so nice of him. It was very cool. Uh, but I get the Tribune email newsletter <coughs> and this thing comes up and it says Mutiny Burger. And I always click on whatever's food related just to <laughs> nice. see. And I was like, Mutiny Burger, that sounds serious. <laughs> and, uh, and there's your face. And I'm like, I know this guy. Why do I know this person? And then it mentioned something somewhere about your dog. Oh, uh, whose you name knew, was you knew Sosa. Sosa. Yeah. Sosa. Somewhere in the stuff I saw Sosa and I was like, oh my gosh, it is yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um 
And I have never been. I haven't been okay. yet to Mutiny yeah, Burger. All right. I totally intend to. Good. Uh, but I wanted to catch you while it's kind of on the new side. How long has it been open? Uh, we just hit a year. Yay. Yeah, we had a year last month, and uh, it's been real fun. So, so yeah, Sosa and I um, hmm. spent, I don't know, dozen years on the road selling beer mm-hmm. um, and, and, and helping build a couple beer companies, beer brands. Um, we started with uh, Pyramid out of Berkeley. I was the, the rep for the Bay Area for like Berkeley. That's when I moved away. But hold on. So that was in between when I met you, and 2004, now, and whatever. Now, yeah. And now. So yeah. how did you get into beer? Because that wasn't a thing, I don't think, when we were... Craft beer was just barely bubbling. Yeah. Um, I saw it... Because we had talked before, I worked in marketing and advertising, and it kind of pushed me away from it because I really didn't like making people want shit they don't need. You know what I mean? Like I have this guilt at a certain point when it becomes successful that I don't want to do it anymore because I feel like it's taking advantage of somebody. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. whether it's children or whatever, you know. You have a and conscience, yeah. It, something. And sometimes it makes me do weird things like just walk away from successful things or whatever, you know. <laughs> like but but it, it's good. It's a good guide. And and uh um so an old friend of mine from from San Luis, actually, uh, who lived in San Francisco, I said, "Hey, man, I just got hired on. We're selling we're selling beer and uh, for the Pyramid Brewery. Do you remember where that was?" And strangely enough, I always had this weird relationship with that brewery, not because I was a beer drinker. I, I understood craft beer, and I always liked the the kind of old school beer scene where people would bring beers from Europe back. Yeah. And yeah. taste those old beers. Because they were super special and Because they were just different than yeah. the American lagers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The big industrial beers that we're all familiar with growing up. And um, it wasn't this thing of like getting away with anything, drinking a 12-pack with your buddies or whatever. It was like they were drinking them for different reasons, you know? Yeah, right. And, and I, I really thought about that when I saw people drinking those kind of old-school European beers. And, and I liked the taste of them. I thought there was a neat... Uh, there was a really great palette of flavors and coming from this like food room, I just started recognizing like oh those ones have chocolate flavors and that yeah. one has fruit flavors and that one has like banana banana right the mm-hmm. banana bread youngs remember that like yeah. oh those were like crazy experiences for me and I was just like that's really neat mm-hmm. and and he was like we're gonna need good salespeople, man and he's all you can you can sell anything you've done all these advertising things and I was like and so I thought about it for for a while and I was like, let me do my research on beer. And kind of like I started getting nerdy about it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what? This could be really fun. And humans have had this relationship with beer for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, mean, I don't know. Sumerian mm-hmm. poems about beer. It's like mm-hmm. some of the earliest written word. You know, there's this, like, mm-hmm. this lore of humans and beer. It's an adult thing. It's kept in an adult world. I don't see it as the worst of the alcohol systems. Like I don't, it, beer is one of those things, especially like craft beer. People were drinking it because of like other reasons and just getting smashed. You I know? really like the, that you said that about. It's not just to get a six pack. Yeah, it's, they're drinking it for different reasons. Yeah, they're yeah. They're, they're experiencing something about it now. They're like, it's big flavor bombs or it's big, yeah. whatever. It's just it's more than just smashing them back yeah. you know what I mean there yeah. was like act, there was a there was something happening it's like conscious and intentional yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean not to put too much you know I, it is still drinking beer but but yeah. at the time you're right it was 
Like right. it was loggers, it was whatever was around, it yeah. was natty light. I mean, it was that kind of thing. Yeah, it was just this. It wasn't the beer. That was mm-hmm. just a a delivery system for alcohol, it seemed. You know, at least mm-hmm. that's the way it looked growing up to me. And then I saw this kind of love affair with people having these little beer bar spikes downtown yeah. was like when uh, when that was going or or some of these early breweries like I started I went up to Pyramid I was like okay Hefeweizen I wasn't really a big Hefeweizen yeah. fan but but I got it and I was like yeah I want I want in because they had just merged they were merging at the time with Magic Hat a brewery out of Burlington Vermont which was really creative brewery um, run by a, a, a real interesting cat uh, Alan Newman and uh, he was like this kind of rich hippie Vermonter philanthropic and kind of weird and I was like okay that's cool that's if that's the leadership in beer right now I'm getting interested yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. that's that's cool there's like these figures that are getting wild and doing cool things and the beer is like one of those things you can create a commodity about it in a small area it can mm-hmm. be very regional mm-hmm. can be very powerful as a kind of tool for other things for you know social stuff or whatever right. like I well, saw it sounds like Ben and Jerry's to quote an, you know to, to reference another Vermont hippie yeah 100% exactly like that kind of leadership and I was seeing them pop up in a few breweries around the country and I was mm-hmm. like okay there's this cool thing happening let's go you know so I jumped headfirst into beer mm-hmm. um, sold beer here around a little bit but then they wanted me to do from like you know basically Oakland or Berkeley to Santa Barbara and so I was like running up and down the coast for them. And so I ended up moving up there close to the brewery, ended up doing that kind of stuff. There was there was this beautiful kind of merger between the Magic Hat crew and the and the Pyramid guys, and it was kind of working. They had this big, grandiose kind of plan to create a independent Brewers United, which is right up my kind of mentality of how I want to do stuff. It's like bring a bunch of small people together, create a little... It's an organization. Organization okay. of like make yourself powerful and just and you can start doing bigger things you team up a bunch of small breweries and that was kind of the idea let's team mm-hmm. up a bunch of small breweries from different regions give them buying power and, and cool. like and kind of like starting to pull and those kinds of stuff was that was really interesting and it like me. legitimizes those small companies yes in a collective way where they maybe don't have the capital to become a big or they have no interest in becoming a big guy but then right. they have all this this um leverage right yeah they get all the benefits of being a much bigger company yeah. but they're still their and own friendships little, and, and yeah and collaboration stuff and it yeah. was and the beer scene at the very early in that early period I, that must have been oh six oh five oh six somewhere around there you know there was this hyper collaborative scene still is the beer scene is very collaborative everybody like works together oh you don't have hops we have hops for you or you don't have whatever or like we have this access to these yeasts and it's all tradable it was Mm -hmm. all very like interchangeable people were showing techniques and (laughs) there was no secrets it seemed like there's it's not like that in any other right winery maybe wineries work like that i see that happening a little bit but they're still maybe friendly they're friendly but it's (laughs) not well and i mean they were they might be really friendly, but yeah. it isn't this like all hands on deck. Yeah, maybe not as much. I don't it, see. I, I really feel there was a moment, you know, punk rock and skateboarding kind of guided my early childhood mm-hmm. of like doing things yourself and collaborating with all your buddies to create a scene. Scrappy. If there isn't one, scrappy, you know, yeah. it makes you scrappy. I recognize that in a lot of the brewer guys at the same time. We were all kind of coming at it with this like DIY mentality and let's like, what can we accomplish with this mm-hmm. medium of beer, you know? 
Um, the beer had to be good, but then after that, it was like this. It was a machine to kind of move things along. You yeah, know what I mean? I it, love was, it. it was really neat, and so it was this collaboration, and there was all this full, fun stuff happening. Um, and that was a great lesson for me because I saw this grandiose idea of merging these. At that time, it was like two or three breweries: it was Pyramid and, and Magic Hat, and maybe another one that was merging in from the south. I don't really remember. But there was this, uh, the bank that owned the debt for that merger mm -hmm. was sold oh. to a monster bank that owned massive brewing companies. Mm. And hmm. so they were like, we want that. Oh, how, that's dangerous. So it was this debt, they were, you know, they, they were owned by the bank because of the debt. And, uh. So they kind of like were just taken over. It wasn't even a hostile takeover. It was mm -hmm. just like, now we're your owners mm -hmm. and we're going to do it like this now. So they kick Alan Newman out and they kick all these people out and they go, we're going to make it part of this. And they just took over. They just bought them. Is that why I don't see Pyramid anymore? <laughs> yeah, it was a great uh, failure of understanding of what they were doing. They were, I think, originally a Canadian company. Yeah. I remember um, going to the Tap House in Sacramento. Yeah, and they were just falling apart. Like yeah. well, at the one point, they just kind of collapsed because all the industry that was built around them was just forgotten. Mm. But, and not not just industry, family and community and regional kind of like backbone of those little breweries. They yeah. were kind of needed at the time. But uh, yeah, so it was a weird. It was this hostile takeover, and it taught me about okay, bigger business levels and debt you know, mm -hmm. rates, like where you're at, how, what your percentage of debt is to where you're at with anything. You're like you're never safe if you're beholden to mm -hmm. even yeah. a, even a bank, you know what I mean? Like yes, it was a, totally. it was a crazy lesson, you know, like that or whatever. But, um, so there was this, uh, there was this legendary shakeup happening. We were now owned by a different company. Kind of a bad story was happening at the same time in the beer industry. People were so passionate about the beer industry at that time, like even the distributors and stuff, that you had the old school American beer company, which was like legacy. People would yeah. do these jobs their whole life, working at a brewery or working at a distributor or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was starting to get shaken up too a little bit at that time. People were coming in and uh, Distributors were merging together and kind of creating better efficiencies and stuff. So there was shakeups happening. Yeah. And unfortunately, there was this bad story. I think it was in Connecticut. It was a Budweiser distributorship where some guy got fired. He got let go, and he was like, thought he was a lifer and whatever. Mm -hmm. And he ended up coming back and shooting into the. He shot people in the distributorship, and then oh, whatever with went, a gun. It, yeah, it went horrible. Okay. It okay. went horrible. It went horrible. Wow. So that happened, and there was this weird kind of cloud over the beer world. We all mm -hmm. felt this like, oh man, like we understood. Maybe not understood exactly, but we felt like, man, yeah, there's these shakeups happening and all these people are, and we're getting taken over by this weird merger. People are disgruntled, it sounds People like. are disgruntled and scared and yeah. thinking that you're building something for the next, you know, your next run at whatever you're doing and it's getting taken over, whatever. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, this merger's happening. They start flying us. They fly all the people that work at Pyramid to Chicago. Mm -hmm. We check into the bottom of the O'Hare airport, the, the, air, the Hilton there. There's the airport Hilton that's kind of attached by tram in mm -hmm. Chicago. So we get up, we go from the airport to the O'Hare Hilton. We check in at a kiosk. They bring you up in an elevator. 
you walk into a room where there's an attorney, our new boss, and like maybe HR or somebody. You know what I mean? You're yeah. sitting there, and all of a sudden you're in this like situation. And you did not know that. We didn't know what we were what doing. Were, they yeah. were told they told us to come to Chicago. We're going to introduce you to the new company. Like we're going to introduce the new company to its mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there are these kind of really intense folks sitting in this room, and it's like, here's your job or here's your ticket. What oh. do you want? And it's that conversation. Yeah. And if you take the job, they were sending us out the back of the hotel. like So you couldn't talk to anybody. So we couldn't talk to anybody. They were putting us in an SUV and driving us to a different hotel in downtown Chicago. Oh, it's so manipulative. It was like a weird psychological game. We thought we were in like this weird Twilight Zone <laughs> episode. You know what I mean? Or or some psych movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like some weird psychological, like I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. But Because it was just happening so fast, right? We realized we went from, you know, I don't know, a hundred and something sales reps to like thirty of us. Like all of a sudden, it was just. So you stuck. You you took the job. Well, they, yeah, they offered me the job. They're like, we only do what you're doing. Because I was one of the newer people, I think I was a little safer probably mm-hmm. than some of the older like established salary pensioners. You know, yeah, right? And because and they were keeping the new blood that was seemed to be moving stuff forward i was opening up new territories they had never sold in so it was easy for me to like get my numbers right and and so they offered me this job and and the the hometown territory of of oakland and berkeley Mm -hmm. and uh and i go i mean we have the hotel and i'm just like i don't know if i can work for people that treat people Mm -hmm. so weirdly Mm -hmm. you know what i mean they would just like played a chess game with us and we kind of started to figure out that this was if they bring you to a neutral place and fire a bunch of people, yeah. there's no one to come back to. Yeah, right. There's no, re- there's no, where do you go to talk to them again? You're never going to see these people again. You're going to yeah. go back to wherever you're from. Chicago being the neutral. It's neutral central <laughs> center location. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's such a hub and such an easy yeah. place to get people to. And it was just, it all became so logical. It was a very weird moment. Mm. Right? So that's going through my mind. They moved me back to Oakland. And they start offering me uh, these high gravity, meaning high alcohol, cheaply made like beers for. It was called like a dog bite or something. Is and that it was, what high gravity means? Gravity in in beer means the uh, where the alcohol. What yeah, does it it's, mean it's, exactly? I think gravity is kind of like um, it's like measuring the amount of. Sugars that can be converted into okay. alcohol. Okay, like gotcha. You, I've always wondered. Yeah, I, I would have to look it up. Yeah, right. Some, you know, there's a person who just loved it and was like speaking the language of the flavors. I never brewed it. It was like yeah, I mean, did home brewing and stuff like that. But it was very crude. And once I learned on big systems, it was very like I'm not going back to that home. Yeah, brewing. right. <laughs> it's like cooking in too nice of a kitchen. Yeah, it's so right. hard to go back to your electric stove <laughs> so and your like true. weird thing where you have to go to it. But sometimes you're just like oh. Okay. Um, but uh, <clears throat> so anyway, they're they're getting me to sell like like beers to the ghetto essentially and like mm-hmm. these shitty lock and I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, this is not the beer. I don't know if I can do this, you know, and it's I'm having those conflict- have you by those, the nuts. those yeah. conflictions again where I'm yeah. just like my guidance is not saying this is the beer I want to sell. I wanted to sell cool new beers to the yeah. craft beer scene, not be your guy in Oakland and like the the badlands of, of the East Bay mm. and trying to sell cheap shitty beer to the 
hood. Like that's that was not my awful. thing. You know, like I just can't play that game. I know what yeah. the value of that is, and I know what the human cost of that is, and that's exactly the kind of drinking I'm trying to get away from. You exactly. Know? Well, and it's taking advantage of people. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it was sure. like this. It was the stupidest thing. There was like a a a, a pimped out van. With just that like you got? they they wanted me to drive this van around and do these events and like sell into the by having this like v- totally unpolitically like it was the worst it was the worst idea I'd ever seen and being yeah. a marketing guy in the back of my head I'm just going I can't even yeah because you can see right through it I can't play with you guys yeah like, you guys yeah. are insane and so <laughs> off your rocker and so insulting yeah insulting insulting yeah. to. It's just pure trying to take advantage of a culture you obviously know nothing about. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna build up a van like a white guy would build up a van and try and sell it to this hood scene. Aww. It was just gross to me, and, I was and like, put you in the driver's seat. Put me in the seat yeah. to to like go out and actually sign you know sign the paperwork on these events or whatever. I don't know. It was like I was like I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, you know? I knew I couldn't do it. So at that time, I'm. Uh, doing beer festivals and stuff with him and I'm getting I'm getting along with um, the guys from Lagunitas really well they were tiny at the time yeah not tiny they were small they're still a regional brewery uh, they're talking about going for it um, they had hired a couple cool people that I knew uh, somebody so one of the guys had transferred over into Lagunitas and Meanwhile, they're the ones I'm hanging out with at the beer festivals. Yeah. Like, I'm not hanging out with the Pyramid guys. They're insane now. Yeah. And I'm not hanging out with some... But these guys, we're gravitating towards each other. You know, we'll wander around and go take safety meeting walks or whatever from mm-hmm. the festivals and just kind of, like, hang out talk about beer and talk about culture. And I was resonating with them very, you know, mm-hmm. very much. And so I say, hey, man, if, if you guys ever need anybody, like, I might be looking soon, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? We might. We've got to try and grow here pretty soon. And, and so my buddy put in a good word. And the next thing I know, they're like, they have me up there for a meeting. Mm-hmm. And then my job finds out. And they're trying to sue me to not do a comp- competitive job. Oh, Lord. And all this weird. <laughs> it just turned into this chaos. And I was like, okay, these guys are insane. Like, yeah. I can't yeah. deal with it. I got to get out. And, uh, They're like hyperactive. Hyperactive. Yeah, and yeah. just insane. Like, um, and so anyway, it took a while. It took six months or whatever of me trying to get out of Pyramid <laughs> to get into Lagunitas, but I ended up getting in, and that was maybe 2008 or nine. Mm, mm-hmm. like maybe end of 2008. Which is a super fun time to be there. Right, yeah. When it's... Kind of blowing up right then, the right? Ver- it was the very first time they had kind of put gas in the tank, and mm-hmm. they were going to go for it. Uh, mm-hmm. They had built a, a little bit bigger brew house at Petaluma. Uh-huh. They had brought some very key people into the management of the company to start really being able to raise money and grow and go big and mm-hmm. go bigger, you know what I mean, than the mother was. And then the plans were very aggressive. It was like essentially planning out the next 15 years with 20% growth every year, no matter what. Like yeah. that kind of just, and they probably exceeded that. Yeah, yeah, we did. They did really very well. Yeah, you know, they just went for it. We put a good plan together. We were very pragmatic. It was built on the right things. It was like community effort and giving yeah. back, and like we had this mentality: is like we can give so much money, we can give so much beer away to the community, and do good with beer. Yeah, like we'd rather do that than almost anything. Yeah, Lagunitas. Um, uh, this American Life, the ad, 
Mm-hmm. They put a bunch of ads at putting the yeah. pub in public radio. Yes. But that's the kind yeah. of thing that like, oh, shoot, there, you don't hear many craft beer ads right. on a show like This American Life. It's right. stuck with me because it's not ZipRecruiter and it's not, you know, all the typical people, foundations, family yeah. trusts, whatever. It was uh, out of Petaluma. Yes. Yeah. And I think my first Lagunitas I ever had was probably in like 08, 09. Um, 09, I would bet. Yeah. And uh, I mean, taste as fresh as can be. And so, yeah, to connect that can that I was drinking with the thing I'm hearing on public radio is pretty cool. cool. Yeah, and it was very real deal. Like the brewery was all about it. We, we had, we had, we funded a lot of stuff for animals around Petaluma, mm-hmm. like a... Like giving beer to, to, we had a, a giving program run by some wonderful people that their whole job was to go out and find nonprofits, mm-hmm. figure out how we can raise money per keg for them and then let, and show them the machine of turning beer into money for a good cause. And That's that was cool. like, had this whole beer fairy program and it was very much about mm-hmm. just being involved, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the communities and wherever we were being sold. So, so wait, but how, so how... <clears throat> I mean, we haven't even talked about burgers yet. Right, yeah, yeah. How did that, what are, what's the seed of Mutiny Burger? What made you want to do it? Yeah, so, um, so traveling around uh, up and down the, the West Coast for a long time for Lagunitas, mm. um, I could always tell somebody where to go in each town on the West Coast by where the good burrito place was where yes. the old school burger joint was or where the old school whatever <laughs> classic flavor bomb restaurants were like my landmarks throughout the country yeah, pretty much yeah. you know because um, they were like emotional markers for me like when mm-hmm. you have that one thing any fine dining whatever at Lagunitas we're also um, pioneering the like like beer dinner programs like that was happening very early on with like all the fancy restaurants around mm-hmm. Napa and Sonoma County and Berkeley and you know what I mean working with working with incredible uh, we made the beer for Alice Waters for a little while at Chez Panisse and we did little things around you know the best restaurants around the area we we're doing beer dinners with them the same way they're doing wine dinners we're trying yeah. to prove that beer has this other level of like complexity now mm-hmm. and kind of sophistication or however you want to describe it you know yeah. and, it's interesting yeah it's interesting yeah. so now we're back in the food world Right, I'm doing these beer dinners up and down. We used to do beer dinners up in Big Sur every year mm. in Southern California. In new states, when we open up a new state, we find a couple cool restaurants to work with. We do a bunch of food pairings. We show people that this is like not just smashing lager. Mm-hmm. It's like you're drinking for like these flavor reasons and these kind of mm-hmm. like whatever. So food and my knowledge of like classic stuff and like. It's how I get around in the world, you know. It's like, oh, when you're in Chicago, I'll go here, 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 and hit this, you know, whatever spot. And then the brewery's good here. It's like, like our landmarks of not only where beer is sold, but food is sold too. And we always try and put it with the best. Like I was uh, always a nerd about good burritos my whole life. You yeah. know what I mean? Growing up in King City. Like a good burrito was just a standard way of communicating. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and, it's a real thing of beauty too. Yeah. When it's, it's this amalgamation. Like I love simple food. I love when you get maybe a certain kind of flavor on your plate. And it's, you know, not one dimensional, but it's like the essence of it is wonderful. But then yeah. a burrito is 
the essence of all of those things, and it's greater than the sum of its part. It's right. wrapped up in this beautiful, chewy right. it's tortilla. I mean, it's even like, talking about it, we're yeah. smiling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, such a good thing. Yeah. And when you find great ones, they're like, yes. oh, whoa. Yes. I had a I had a, a Instagram account early on traveling with Loganese called Burrito Hunters. Yeah. And we would landmark. There was three of us around the company. Primarily, it was more people that contributed, whatever. But they would be like, we found one in Texas, or we found yeah. one in... Denver, we found one in, you know, like, the, you got to try this one. And we yeah. would, like, mark it, take pictures of it, put it on the gram, and we would just kind of, like, use it as our own, like, club check-in. It was yeah. a little map and club check-in, you know, of, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I've had that one, or that one's do so you like, good. Do you do rice in the burrito or not? Uh, it all depends. I'm not a huge fan of rice in the burrito. Yeah. Like, that's not where I'd my first go-to. Yeah. Although I have had ones that work very well mm-hmm. if they're done right. Yeah. Like, it, it, there's... Same. Yeah, there's certain ones that'll work, but primarily no. If it's I'm, just I'm, like this... I'm down to like one or two ingredients or three maybe. Yeah, if yeah. you can get those ones, those are my favorites usually. Yeah. They're like they're about one thing. You know? For me it's right. carne asada, it's peppers, it's onions, and it's guacamole. Wonderful. That right there and it's packed. Yeah. And it's big. I love it. And then when you get that bottom bite that has oh, where it's all perfectly <laughs> all <of> the... <laughs> like crushed into the bottom, it's been <laughs> concentrated yeah those are magical <laughs> bites just getting to the end of a burrito right is like is like a is like a fun uh, tea ceremony you know what i mean like you know what i'm saying like like there's things you can do if it's foil wrapped you're like are you a peeler yeah are you a peel are you just open it up all the way like there's all these different things in there. i love it it's a tea yeah. ceremony yeah <laughs> little awesome. ceremonies of getting to the right end especially like of a breakfast burrito or something like yes. that like that end bite is like the point, you know. Do you have do you have access to that old Instagram account, or do you have a list somewhere that I can share with people of the yeah, places? Yeah, mutiny, uh, um, not mutiny. Burrito hunters. The burrito hunters okay. is still on there. Okay, We've I'll look at that. Taking it down. It's just I haven't put anything on there for okay. a, a couple of years or whatever. Okay, so fast forward, moving forward, we're selling beer around the country. Uh, the last two years at Lagunitas, I was permanently living in a van and just mm-hmm. traveling. We're just sell, going, sell, sell. gunning it, going in between events, going between distributors, connecting the dots for like a newly formed network of 50 states that we were all trying to maintain healthy relationships with. We were doing lots of marketing events. We were doing these things called beer circuses, which were fascinating parties, just like very adult themed beer circus parties. Mm-hmm. Think like old timey, like knife throwing and like... Mm-hmm fun stuff with lots of acrobatics and crazy cow and lots of drinking. Yeah. 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 Um, plenty of water too. You know, we tried to be responsible. About yeah. Yeah. It, but, you know, fun though. Fun, really fun daytime events. Just a yeah. few hours, hit it hard, get it done. Let people go home and sleep it off kind of thing. Like, <laughs> um, so we're doing those around the country or whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, we got to all 50 States. Heineken comes in as a distribution partner, um, they start bringing us to countries outside of the U.S. Mm. And that changes the whole game for us. It's like mm. a very distinct shift in the company's kind of history. And then it's um, and then it's time kind of Heineken sees the potential in that and how, how interesting like our position of how big we had kind of set that brewery up to grow. And they're like, okay, now we want the whole thing. We're going to make a deal and they buy the whole brewery. Mm-hmm. At that time, we're playing around in the cannabis world. We're doing like a cannabis soda early on. And uh, the weed culture at Lagunitas was very heavy and deep. And part of the 
kind of infrastructure of the of the business and mm. so knowing that the legal cannabis world is coming on was kind of like there was like a few of us who were like okay these are next steps so this is what we need to do yeah. next kind of thing um so anyway after lagunitas small project i opened up a beer bar with uh, the co-founder of lagunitas up in hopland california it was like a great project and then I ended up working in the cannabis world for some brands mm -hmm. helping them with their branding helping them with their kind of like basic growth steps of the of the of the stuff and that industry is really unhealthy it's like mm -hmm. it's run from the top down in California as a mess it's like there's no good foundational steps for that industry to grow the right way now prices think? prices are dropping they haven't opened it up legally really across the state there's this right. kind of weird chokehold on it that's like kept, it can't it can't it, grow it, right. it cannot grow right yeah it cannot i mean they were promising numbers bigger than alcohol yeah you know yeah and to give you an example i had you know 1400 accounts of alcohol in just the east bay alone mm. and there was maybe 30 dispensaries so yeah. i don't understand the like the logic of that and then you're talking about maybe 60 percent of the counties in california that do not have any cannabis legalization right. at all right. so is and that cities have their own everybody's got their ideas. own say, right? yeah. Yeah. and because it's such a divisive subject even though it maybe shouldn't be or whatever i don't but whatever it whatever is. it is it's so divisive amongst people that there was no legalization it was kind of like a limped in kind of right promised game that never could flourish it's mm -hmm. going to take a long time for that industry to grow up properly i think in california mm -hmm. and be actually be actually healthy and profitable and and a recognized kind of like running room right now i, mean, I think it's so see, top right yeah, yeah yeah it's going to happen no matter what but yeah. right now it's very top heavy and so so i was like oh man this industry is still like i don't know if it's ready for the growth that i do which is like yeah. cultural and like kind of you know and then I'm getting ready to move back down to a property uh, in Lockwood with um, uh, to be closer to my friends and my family. And my mom and dad are getting older or whatever. And I'm like, I'm traveling so much still. Didn't matter where I lived. I was going to start somewhere anyway. So it's like, I'll move um, close to them. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And it just kind of like... For like, a second, I forgot about the pandemic. Right, right, right. <laughs> As you're talking, it's like, wait, yeah, what? Lockdown, lockdown yeah, lockdown just happened. And it was such a shock to my system that mm. as beautiful as it was to just kind of work on a farm for months and months on an end, I also just kind of went stir crazy. I had never... Of course. I'd never stopped traveling probably for 20 years previous to that. You know what I mean? Even when yeah. I was here in like San Luis... You're active, yeah. I was always moving. You know, we were going places we were working in florida even though i was i was building in florida and coming back and forth you know wow. like it was always just moving it was about i like that about life you know what i mean i like the attitude oh there's something crazy happening over there kind of well thing, yeah know? so you did not have any kind of action no when covid happened yeah so i couldn't move we couldn't uh we couldn't travel the industry was kind of saying no we're not going to let people go between whatever and my marketing plans were all kind of built into like these experiential <laughs> campaigns so i was like there's no experience like, yeah there's no experience yeah so i was kind of going nuts and i was like man what am i going to do like all these cool places around the country that i like to visit and all the things that i know and i started thinking about how i could maybe steal from those and start combining them into one something i didn't know what the medium was going to be yet but it was kind of about 
well, I, I love the beer business and I love the food business and I love the kind of clubhouse idea of anything, like create a little clubhouse <laughs> for something. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of openly stealing old school recipes because I've had this hatred of fast food restaurants for a long time since <laughs> I was a child and that's a whole other story. Go, <laughs> I'll tell you the story of my first McDonald's burger and Please. it set the stage for this. Yeah. So, so anyway, Mutiny Burger was born. Mm-hmm. Um, out of just a concept of like, so you're bringing places to you yes. instead of you going out. One hundred percent. While you can't go out, right? It was okay. like a way to bring it all into one place, and for me to stop traveling, but to create something that has all this Get stuff excited. coming from different places. Whether we're stealing from other cultures or whether we're stealing from classic tried and true burgers, like a foundation of our burger of our menu, we have like three kind of core meat burgers. Mm-hmm. But the center of it all is this Oklahoma burger, which I stole from this place called Sid's in El Reno, Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. it's just like they've been doing this one smashed onion burger simply, beautifully, perfectly for I don't even know how many years. At Will least, you explain what a smash burger is to people who don't e, um, know? Yeah. So, so our take on the smash burger, anytime you're cooking meat, um, any many meat lovers out there will understand exactly what I'm talking about. So whatever meat you're talking about, whether it's smoked meat, whether it's steaks, whether it's tri-tip, barbecue, whatever, you're, you're, you're cooking the meat to get it the right temperature you want, right? But the, the, the key to that is the char, the outside, the sear, the sear mm-hmm. right? There's this Maillard reaction, if you know. Right? So Caramelization. Right. So yeah. you have your proteins and your sugars and your salts and stuff kind of carbonizing on the outside and it's a concentration of flavor on that particular product whatever your yeah. meat whatever you're whatever it is it doesn't matter smoke ring same thing it's that what's where yeah. the heat affects it, it it's where the, it's, it's like the application spot right. or the in the face of it's it. the that's the concentration of flavors on the outside edge yeah. of that meat you know you get your getter stuff there a smash burger takes that idea and pushes it well I, we push it to an extreme where we try and get the burger to be nothing but crust like a paper like we smash it, it as thin. as thin as possible uh-huh. little salt pepper garlic same thing boom do it on the other side and you crush onions into it at the same time so you have the onions in oh. the meat and it's smashing and it's a simple thing and it makes the most simple beautiful hamburger you don't have to put much on it we put pickle a little sauce a super squishy bun that I, I get out of uh, Pennsylvania called the Martin's Potato Roll. Ooh, Martin's has been so political lately. What's their deal? I don't know. Is oh, it a bad thing? God. Do it, I have to switch potato You may have brands? to. Oh, no. You may have to. <laughs> okay, well, tell me. I think there's a, con- there's a contact with... Uh, oh, gosh, I hope I'm not saying this wrong, and I'll, I'll fix it if, in the show notes if I do. But um, you know Danny Meyer, who owns 11 Madison Park and uh, Shake Shack and okay. Gramercy Tavern in okay. New York. Yeah, he uses yeah. Martin's rolls. Um, and uh, it's a classic East Coast, right. like beautiful potato. Regardless of the politics, I don't understand. Look. But yeah, that's okay. But the the roll itself is the is like a perfect vessel. It's pillowy, soft. It's like smooshy, gushy. Has this? It kind of gets out of the way of the food you're eating. Do you yeah. know what I mean? In this beautiful old school role way, which is why I've always loved them. So now I'm fascinated to see if we have to switch around. But Shoot, um, well, I'm gonna. I, I'm so sorry about this. Let's see. It's okay. 
uh, right-wing candidate for Pennsylvania governor, but I, f- I think that there was some like white nationalism stuff in there. Oh, I'm so sorry, friend. Okay. Uh, well, but you know, we will do our research. Well, so and, listen, and, Danny and, Meyer and, kept it. He he still uses Martin's. Okay, okay. Um, and that's that's his decision, obviously, and he values the product in yeah. a way that look at you. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I get. I, I don't know what they did, but man, pro- well, the product is its thing. If they're I if know. they're becoming. Look, just read up on it. I would say just be informed. Yeah, 100%. Uh, (laughs) But also, you got to love a good potato roll, right? Yeah, right. And and, uh, so anyway, we put it on a potato roll. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a jerk. I blew up your potato roll. No, it's so... It's so crazy these days to try and just like make sure we have everything in a kind of a good way. And and it's important to us to try. I know, I know, but everything is canceled. You know, it's just, we're all learning how (laughs) to do that. We're all learning, yeah. So anyway, we'll do our research on our potato rolls. All right, so you've got this beautiful roll, the skinny, skinny meat. Yeah, pickles, uh, a burger sauce that we make that's not too sweet. You know, the, the burger itself speaks for itself. And it's on this roll, and that's it. It's can, a giant, then I would guess, right? Yeah, okay? we, yeah. We smash it out. It gets. It doesn't even have. It's a small meatball, but once we flatten it out, it gets very thin and very smashed yeah. out. Like, yeah. And my friend was a photographer from San, San Diego. He asked me. He's like, "I know what you're doing," and I'm like, "What am I doing?" He's all in all your pictures. You're never. You're never putting a bottom bun. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, you don't put a bottom bun, so the burger looks bigger." I was like. Is that, what? There's 100 percent a bun, and I was like, no, there's a bun in the bottom. Why would we not put a bottom? And I started looking at the pictures, and it's because they flop over. They're so big, you can't see the bottom bun because the bun is like almost insignificant to the burger we're trying to create. You know? I saw, so the, I looked the flavors at flavors there. Yeah. Your pizza burger is unconscionable. <laughs> yeah. It's out of control. I showed it to my husband. He's like, God, that looks good. It worked way better than we thought it was going to. Is it a regular thing on the No. Menu? So okay. these weekly special burgers are just weird ideas of trying to smash ideas together. Yeah. Um, whether people are doing it, whether we see some restaurant do the one version of, you know, something pops up and something mm-hmm. becomes interesting in the food world. I look at it. Can we burger it as a medium? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And so these cup and char, like pepperonis were starting to get notoriety with like people doing the the fancy little uh it's like called cup and char cups. Yeah. yeah yeah they cup up they burn on the edges yes. they hold the grease in the middle so it just kind of adds this like crunchy everybody loves pepperoni yeah, grease yeah. flavor you know what i mean it's like those so so we were trying to get those and we're trying to play whatever and we're like okay somebody's doing a pizza burger or some chicago place or something and i was like let's play with it and once we started doing it we, we had done cheese skirts before where you grill the cheese and you get it melty and burnt on the bottom and whatever and then we put the Nice. The pepperoni on top, and we just set that whole thing on the a double cheeseburger with a really beautiful kind of like, like a red sauce, like yeah, know, like anyway, gorgeous. That one worked better than we thought. And sometimes the flavors are so fun, we're just like, okay, that's the next special, and that we'll is go so for fun. It. And then I saw you have a Halloween one that's got a charcoal bun. How'd you get a charcoal bun? Yeah, that's local. Uh, I think it's Edna's. Edna, those guys yeah. are so good. Yeah, Edna's does it. So where we can, we find like cool local options for stuff. Yes. They make this charcoal uh, hamburger bun that's black. 
Um, and then we took the idea of a Juicy Lucy out of Minnesota area. Minneapolis does these burgers called a Juicy Lucy, which is uh, two hamburgers smashed together with cheese in the middle. Uh-huh. And you cook it to where the cheese starts to melt. So when you bite into it, the cheese just... It's almost like a molten lava molten, cake or something. Yeah, it's exactly. It yeah. has that center of cheese. So we do... Ours is a Spooky Lucy. So we do the black bun. We take... Uh, like mozzarella cheese and we mix beetroot powder with it. Is so that it turns, why it looks so gross? It looks raw. It looks like <laughs> raw meat or raw just like whatever. And we stuff that into the burger patties and, you know, some good bacon on top of it or whatever. So it's basically just a really good bacon cheeseburger. Yes. But it's black and it bleeds all over the plate <laughs> when you cut it open. We made a nice apricot red wine reduction to make a little bit oh, more bloody. That. Like Which, little, but that's also so like chefy. You know, that's we're we're playing with any technique we can. Like yeah. we we've we've seen people play this whole fancy game. Let's bring it to burgers as a medium. It's just yeah, like how it. much flavor can we throw at them? The specials are super technique driven. Like we yeah. want them to be a little bit not like you know, nothing approachable. Any, uh, approachable, yeah. yeah. It's burgers at the end of the day, but we're taking. I work with really good chefs, yeah. and I ask them to bring some like these cool technique to these weird ideas that I have. Who are the people, do you want to like shout out, who, who are the people who are doing this with you, who are making it work? Um, yeah, right since the beginning, we found, I found uh, Chef Ortega was like um, a perfect, he grew up in the punk rock world. Mm. He went through the old school chef apprenticeship, getting his, you know, having to do it for free for people right. because he just loved food. Mm-hmm. He worked at some great Mexican restaurants in the area. Mm-hmm. He's worked at the finest of the wineries. So he's had this, he has this perfect balance for me. And we speak a language that we can like almost just riff off each other when we see an idea or hear about somebody doing something or when we take a classic burger idea and try and do it. Cause we'll yeah. take a, We'll take a, a classic burger or like a Western bacon cheeseburger from Carl's Jr. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what if we reapproached it with good ingredients? Yeah. You know? Yep. Let's hand bread a bunch of cool onion rings. Let's mm-hmm. make our own barbecue sauce with like a true, like beautiful regional barbecue sauce, not yeah. just some sugar monster that like, let's use good beef, let's use mm-hmm. great cheese, let's put whatever and build all the ingredients almost one for one, but just improve improve on the level ingredients like and elevate this thing. elevate it into just like a fun local burger yeah you know? and stop paying these crazy prices for like the worst are you talking you about know, fast food f- yeah the worst yeah. quality food possible tell me like, about that mcdonald's burger oh <laughs> okay so when i was okay i grew up my dad had steakhouses we would get hamburgers we made hamburgers when i was a kid that were like these barbecued little masterpieces you know you they took 45 minutes or whatever mm. to get right on you know what i mean because they're big they're beautiful it's good meat like you put a little cheese on it you let it sit there and you mm. do its thing on oak you know you know so it's all yeah. burgers were me were like these great meals yeah. you know and we were on our maybe one of our first family vacations i think we were going to canada and we used to go up to victoria island or something and mm. hang out when i was a kid but uh, I'm sleeping in the back. I think it was a Suburban or something, some typical big ranch vehicle or something. I'm sleeping all the way in the back, and um, they're like, we're going to go through a McDonald's drive through I'd never been to McDonald's before. <laughs> they didn't have one in King City yet. They wasn't like a 
Which right. is crazy to think about, right? Right. right. Yeah. Before King City had a McDonald's, right? Because now it's such a staple, and it yeah. became a staple very early on in my childhood too. Because we used to ride our bikes through for ice cream, but mm-hmm. so they're like, "Yeah, what do you want?" I was like, "I'll oh, get me a cheeseburger," you know. And I fell asleep, and I wake up miles and miles away, or whatever, and we're stopped somewhere, and and I was like, "Oh, where's my cheeseburger?" Oh, God. And they <laughs> hand me this bag, you know, with a little tiny paper wrapped thing in the middle of it. And I had older brother and sister that would always play practical jokes on me. We were very mean to each other as siblings. So yeah. As far as the jokes go, there was no limit. Like The jokes could come at any time. <laughs> they could be painful. They could be not. They could be whatever. But it was like this weird like <laughs> trauma, trauma, <laughs> prepping for trauma kind of thing at all times. And so whenever anything starts going sideways or weird, you just assume it's a practical joke. And there's going to be some, somebody's going to be pointing and laughing. And then your burger is going to come out of the word work, right? Yeah. So they hand me this little burger, and I look at it, and it's just like the saddest looking thing. And and I'm like, that's not it. This is not a burger. Like, this isn't a cheeseburger. Where's my cheeseburger? And I remember just crying and crying and crying because nobody would give me my real cheeseburger. And I kept thinking it was a joke. But it was. (laughs) And it was not a joke. That was what I had. And they were, and I thought they were just being so mean to me. Yeah. Because this was the burger, and I tried to eat it, and I'm like, what? I have a similar story from that I'm borrowing from yeah. somebody named Fabian Tafera who owns the Ethiopian spot, Ebony Slow, uh-huh. here. She was on here my first season, and she told me about when she moved from Ethiopia and just really wanted to try McDonald's. Yeah. Her mom took her to a mall on the East Coast with her sibling, I think, and they went and got McDonald's. And she... Uh, Ethiopian food is so savory. Oh, I love it, yeah. And so... She bites into this thing. She said it was like meat with donuts on either side right. as the bun. And she yeah, said she could not bread. eat it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yes, McDonald's. I, I would love actually to put together a book about everybody's experiences with McDonald's. Because, I mean, there's beautiful. I remember sitting and eating fries with my mom in Santa Maria and like right. feeling it was so special. Well, yeah, I'll give them. They probably made the best French fry of all time. Yeah. At some point in time, that was a perfect French fry. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think other people have played and maybe other people have figured sure. out how to do something. So, but it, do yeah, you do fries things. at Mutiny? Yeah, we do tater tots. No fries, though? No fries. Okay, what's We've that? We've played with fries. We kind of switched back and forth. But lately, we've kind of we were riding this like tater tot yeah fun way school lunch there yeah there's something like school lunches they're kind of like a tiny hash brown yeah they hold flavors well people like to put delicious. sauces and cheese and do like animal style stuff or chili or whatever and the tater tots just become this cool little and i think you know most cities you can get french fries yeah 10 different ways on the same block you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so I was like, all right, let's just do tots. and Tots have all those little crags in them to catch the grease and the salt. Kind of what we're finding is that they're little f- flavor croquettes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you should, on April 1st, you should actually serve croquettes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'll dust them with some Parmesan. I'll call yes. them croquettes, you know, <laughs> whatever. And like smoked pepper. Yeah, exactly. It'd be fun. Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, they're just a good, they're just a good side and... Uh, People have been kids. Everybody's liking them, you know. Yeah. I was going to say it's turning adults into kids again, but it, it yeah. definitely people are having this like childhood kind of like, oh, tots. <laughs> yeah, well, in the spot, when you talk about having a clubhouse, the spot, from what I can tell, is like that. It's pretty old school. Did you you got it from? It used to be a cafe, yeah, I think, at one uh, time. Um, 
used to be Good Times Cafe. Yes. Okay. And so. So right by the movie theater and on yep, the park. Yeah. The the space was so neat. Like it yeah. kind of kind of just told me what to do. You know, because mm-hmm. it was like, let's take that space and it's so limited. The kitchen is tiny. It's like one little fryer and a grill and mm-hmm. not like one freezer and one reach in and that's it. Like you just don't have. There's no room to kind of play crazy. We recently brought in a little equipment, you know, we're playing with like sous vide steaks and like weird Um. stuff like that. Like we're going to do whatever. We'll do what we can. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're just having fun with like very limited. And then I like, like, I've always liked the restaurants that have just a few things that they do really well and they don't try and have 500 things on the menu because I always worry about like what's frozen, what's fresh, like what are they not going through the fastest, you know what I mean? Like I worry about that stuff for restaurants when I go into them and... (laughs) Yeah. So in mine, it's all very efficient. Like we have ingredients we use a lot of. We'll play within these things. And then we bring in little bits of specialty ingredients, whether it's local mushrooms or mm-hmm. local cheeses or local breads or, you know, making our own pickles, whatever it is mm-hmm. like that, that stuff is fun for us to kind of just like throw some unique down. On yeah. The specials. Yeah. Just yeah. little accents on general ingredients. You know? Yeah. I love it. You yeah. seem like a man <clears throat> who is at his most alive when you're building something yeah i think that's growing that's a real something. good description as i love building stuff up yep until it either kicks me out or i get like i'm done with it and i yeah <laughs> go do or another because, one yeah and i just go do another one <laughs> i love it that's yeah. so fun all right well what i ask everybody at the end of an episode is if you if it was your last day on earth <clears> and you were like oh, i'm so stoked at the life mm. i've lived i really have done mm. a good job how would you celebrate? What would you eat and drink? And who would you be with? And I mean, let's cholesterol yeah. it up, right? I mean, yeah. you're already going to be dying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm, I'm, it would be, it wouldn't be fancy. I think it would be like barbecue and street food, mm-hmm. like, like somewhere between barbecue and, and, tacos you yeah. know like just so basic mm-hmm. um and i'd want to cook it with everybody mm-hmm. like that's the that's when you said like who would you do it with i was like i immediately so with my family barbecuing you know mm-hmm. or or like we have these huge barbecue pits in our family that are like trailer sized and we can do Love it. so in my head i was like okay we're gonna get the barbecue pit out yep. and we're gonna get the we're gonna get some fire started. Like spend gonna, the whole day. Yeah, we'll spend the whole day yeah. standing around a fire and getting tribal with it. You know what I mean? I like that. Yeah. Like and, and just hanging out and, you know, drinking a little bit, eating a little bit. What are you drinking? Who I don't know. Um, tequila is definitely one of mm. my probably my go to alcohol if mm. if there's one. Tequila or mezcals, like any of the I think there's something beautiful about them they're not a grain spirit they're, they kind yeah. of react differently in your system i've mm-hmm. always had a i've never had a bad reaction from them i mean you lucky yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i didn't drink as a kid so it was uh i didn't go through those um oh like bingy 
Yeah, like smashing a bottle of shitty Cuervo and getting right. so sick about it. Like, I never wanted to see that was never my thing. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like, I was the guy that would drive everybody home, you know what I mean? And mm. like, make sure everybody was good. You like that guy. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, I'm not drinking. I'll give you a ride. Get in the back of the truck. Don't fall out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it was safe. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jack. Anyway. Thank you so much for coming yeah, and you. telling me about your background. And Yeah, no problem. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the Consumed Podcast, which is now in its 15th season. Hard to believe. If you have suggestions for guests, questions, or comments about the show, please contact me via my website, letsgetconsumed.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter, buy a little consumed pin, or download live episodes. On Instagram, I'm at consumed.podcast. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. Until next time, thank you for listening.